0: a rough week for the Finstock Exchange this past week. They had three big matches, and they dropped all three of them. That, plus the singles tournament, continues to rattle on. Hello and welcome to Repeat the Question. I'm David Sackrider, and this is your one-stop shop for everything related to the world of the movie trivia. Schmodown. We're going to kick things off first with the... Uh, In my opinion, the first big match of the week saw Jader the Hurricane Paramo taking on Jim the Whiskey Man Vavida. It's the Burning Droogs taking on the Rockstars, and and this was a must-win match for both teams. Both teams are sitting right around the bottom of the standings, and if they want to get back into things, they have to make a tournament run. Unfortunately, only one team was able to come out the victor in this one, as we get into the actual match breakdown before, before we get fully started with that. I just want to take the chance to acknowledge some of the promos here. I, uh, I forgot in the lead up to this match that, that Ken was a, a part of that burning um usual suspects trade that saw Ethan Irwin and, and Jader Paramo change places. Uh, I forgot that Ken was a key factor in that trade because i I've been thinking of Ken as the manager since he took over and not as uh the former player. And so I think that makes for a really interesting connection between him and Jader. Um you know, they they both were in this blockbuster trade. They both um have that sort of connection. And so it was interesting to see the way Ken interacted with um with Jader as opposed to, you know, maybe the way we've seen him met Managed Brandon Hanna or we've seen him manage Bonnie Somerville. I felt like Ken was more of a manager in this match and I've, I've got to commend him for that. Um, especially, you know, the way he advised Jader in round two, he talks about, um, you know, maybe it wouldn't be a good idea to give, uh, Jim festival darlings, but which Regardless of the fact that uh, Festival of Darlings wasn't on the wheel, it's still good advice. Um, so I think we saw Ken Nabsock, the manager, really come out in this match, and and I think that's just because him and 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 Jader have that that connection. So as we get into the actual match itself, uh, at the end of round one, the score was tied seven to seven, and this one had it was. Coming out to be exactly what I think we thought it was. Then in round two, Jim David hits opponent's choice, and he's he goes four of four for four points in Meg Ryan. Jim David is one of those competitors that I think we talk about a lot of times, um, not knowing the rules of the game, not knowing the game, and I think that that really got in his head in this match in particular. Um, he checked a multiple choice almost without hesitation on every single question. And I think that if he'd given himself a little bit more time, he probably could have pulled a few of those. But nevertheless, he's only able to pick up four points, which sends it over to Jader Paramo. Uh, Pramo hits Spinner's Choice, and at that point, you're starting to think that maybe the match is over. Um, but he's only able to go two of four in the category for a measly four points in Pixar. um he also gives up a one point steal, which makes it 12 to 11 in favor of Vavida heading into the third round. And then in round three, they both hit their twos, they both hit their threes. But the difference maker is that Jader Paramo hits his five and Jim Vavita misses. And that results in the 19 to 15 win for Jader, Adva- Jader Paramo. He advances to the next round of the tournament with the win and so jader the hurricane paramo you know he i definitely think that he looked like a rookie in this match um especially when you look at his round two he he really needed to to think a little bit longer pixar was was clearly something he registers as a strength um he chose it with spinner's choice. So logically that means that if, if you have a strength, I would think that that would be a category that nine times out of 10, you're going to go perfect, f- um, four or four for eight points in that category. And I don't think that, um, Jader was incapable of doing that in the category of Pixar. I think he just needed to take a little bit more time with, uh, each question and, and really evaluate, um, his options, you know, check down to multiple choice on a couple of them that he uh, wasn't as sure on. That being said, it's a strong win for him um, over a veteran competitor, and it keeps him and the Drugs alive in this tournament, which is all, all very important. The main reason I wanted to talk about this match, though, is is kind of a problem I think we've seen popping up in a number of matches, and I'm talking about the this this sort of five-point disparity. Um, Jader is asked his five-point question first, and he gets something to the effect of a who starred in question, is basically how, how I'll put it. It was... Um, about John Voigt, an enemy of the state. It was asking for the actor's name, but I, I felt like it gave a lot of details. And it's not like John Voigt is a, a small actor. So, um, in in that respect, I didn't feel like it was that hard of a pull. Um, whereas on the opposite side of things, Jim David, I got hit with a just an awful question um, about the. The name of the law firm in the firm, and to me, I felt like that question was intergeekdom Star Wars level questions. That's that's like the type of stuff that like if 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 you had asked what's the name of the law firm or in you know I don't know Iron Man or whatever in intergeekdom match for a five pointer, I would have been like, oh yeah, totally. That that lines up with the level of difficulty for how those questions should be. But it, I don't think that's how that. It should be in singles. And I think what we're seeing is that there's a little bit too much randomness on the five. And look, I am a strong proponent of the fact that, that the round three should be a little bit of Russian roulette, that that's the game. It it wouldn't be fun if um, it was just a repeat of round one. That that the Russian roulette, the what numbers you choose, all of that has plays a factor into making the game different and interesting and fun. the The difference is that I think that things need to be a little bit more fair you know, what you consider easy and hard is ultimately subjective. It it comes down to what kind of movies you're interested in, what, uh, kind of, what kind of genres you like, what kind of, what time period you were born in, because that can determine what type of movies you watched, uh, more often than others. All of those things play into, um, what a competitor deems easy or hard or what a question writer deems easy or hard or what an audience member deems easy or hard. You know, easy and hard are in and of themselves opinions or at least that's how I feel when it comes to questions. And so, you know, everybody has an opinion. That being said, I do think that there needs to be some way to kind of, make things more, more even between the two five pointers. Um, I think there just needs to be a little bit more standardization to it. I wouldn't go so far as to say all five pointers are plot specific because I thought that, uh, Bateman and Roca on backstage brought up an interesting point that, that, that might necessarily make it too difficult of, 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 um, a question at that point, like you still want to see people hit their fives at the end of the day. Like that, that is important. So I don't know if that's necessarily the, the way to go about things, but I think that there needs to be some sort of caveat like that. Um, Maybe it's not all five pointers are plot specific, but maybe it's all five pointers are going to be a cast question without, um, without any, um, extra clues. You know, it'll be just simply who played so-and-so in so-and-so. Maybe that's the way they have to do it so that when, when a cast question comes up, you know, it's just as hard as when a plot question comes up. I don't know what the best way to go about it is, but I certainly feel like there's some fine tuning to be done with what we've got. And, and look, I'm not going to fault the question writers. Um, you know, for, for writing a tough question at the end of the day. Um, I do think that when you're writing so many questions, um, you know, sometimes there's going to be an easier one that slips in and sometimes there's going to be a harder one that slips in just based on your mood or, or, you know, your feelings on the movie or, or whatever else. Um, but that being said, I do think that there, there needs to be a, a league wide initiative to kind of, balance things a little bit further. And and look, you know, what this does come back to the fact is that if David says a different number in, in round three, um, he doesn't get that question and maybe he wins the match. So there is a little bit of luck to it and he got unlucky. That doesn't distract from the fact that, that we can do that the league can do a better job of of finding a way to to keep things fair for everybody. So that's going to move us into the next match. And and this is the one that I'm most excited to talk about. Because, look, I I said it on Twitter. I'm going to say it here on the show. I think that every person that I've seen talk about this match has the wrong take on it. And I am excited to be able to give mine because I have the right take on it. Clearly. Um, nobody else has valid opinions except for me. And that was sarcasm in case it didn't come across through uh, the video. But, um, the match I'm talking about is the undercard in Friday's Showdown throwdown. It's Shazam taking on who's the boss. And, uh, where to start with this match? I guess we can start with the promos. Um, one thing that, that stuck out to me in particular, and I know that that Ben Bateman went really hard on the mind games leading up to this match. Um, he was really trying to hammer home the fact that, that uh, you know he thought he had Bibiani and the kids number, and he was really going to try to exploit that factor. And in one thing that a lot of people will be quick to say is that maybe he was using a little bit of heel tactics in, in, in that, those methods, but also one, one key indicator, um, of that is we saw the cackle return in his promo. And I don't think that that was, uh, I don't think that was an accident. I think that that was deliberate. And I think that Bateman is migrating back to heel. Um, especially after a loss like this, I think that could, could be, I know we're the, the storylines have kind of taken a backseat this season with the way that the online matches have been handling, but that doesn't mean that the the characters have kind of gone away. And so I think that maybe after a loss, we could see Ben, you know, make that twist and it'll be interesting to see which Ben Bateman we see in the, uh in the match on Friday, it'll be interesting to see how his character develops this season, especially you know if he loses to Merle a second time, or if he loses to Guy, or whatever happens. It's certainly been a year of highs and lows for him, so you know anything's on the table and uh, team action it's probably one of the biggest reasons why I got as invested in the league as I did. Um, I'm huge fans of both Bateman and guy. And so I can't say that I would be upset to, to see another heel run, um, from him. But, Getting into the actual match, once again, I'd just like to remind uh, everybody that I, I don't have highlights uh, for either this match or uh, the main event uh, because the match is not available to the public yet, so uh, you're just going to have to look at me, kind of looking at my notes here uh, to break down the match. But at the end of round one, uh, score was 13-10 to 10 in favor of Shazam. And Who's the Boss uses all three Jtu rules, something that I'm certainly going to address here in a second. Um, Then in round two, Who's the Boss, their bad luck continues. They hit opponent's choice, and they go three of six for five points in the category of Classics. And that's rough. And it's even more rough by the fact that they give up three steals for four points. Look, Classics is a difficult category. It covers a lot of of movies. And uh, not only does it cover a lot of movies, but you know when you're talking about that many decades of, of film, um, I do agree with Bateman's ass- with Bateman's assessment that it's a difficult thing to study for. And um, it's a difficult thing to study for in the factor that there's only so much time in the day. Schmodown competitors. I wrote this in a Facebook post, but I think it's even more uh, important to to say here: they have full time jobs outside of the show. The show isn't the only thing that that these competitors are doing, and so they only have twenty four hours in the day, just like the rest of us. If they've got a the if they've got to choose a category to study, then um they have to choose which ones make the most sense. Adam Sandler, I looked it up, he has 78 acting credits according to IMDb. That category is a lot easier to master than classics or action-adventure or comedies or whatever because there's so much fewer films. And when you're looking at things from a time perspective, it makes a lot more sense to try to master 12 categories than to try to master one category because... When you are looking at the wheel, if you can if you can get a mastery of twelve categories, you are more likely to have success in round two than you are if you have a mastery of one category. That's just math, and so you know Bateman. I don't think he was literal when he was saying you can't study for classics. Obviously, you can study for classics. You can study for anything. The difference maker is there's just not enough time. You're never going to get to the point with classics that you will always be 100% 12 for 12 in the category. You could get that way with Adam Sandler. You could get that way with Tyler Perry. You could get that way with Spike Lee or any of the other director or actor categories. You're probably you're definitely never going to get to get that point with action adventure or a genre category or classics because the categories are just too big. They're too broad. Ultimately, you know, who's the boss is sullied by this opponent's choice spin and then Shazam goes on to go uh, six of six for nine points in the category of comedies and that puts them aw- puts um, who's the boss away? It's a 26 to 15 knockout for Shazam. Um, it's a dominant showing for Shazam regardless of of the way who's the boss played. And I think that a lot of the focus is is on who's the be- who's the boss as it should be, I think there's a, a, there's, it's just more interesting to talk about what went wrong because who's the boss is such an elite team, but that shouldn't distract from the fact that uh, Shazam played a good match. If Shazam doesn't have a good round two, if Shazam doesn't have a round, a good round one, then they don't knock out who's the boss. So, you know, regardless of, of how interesting it is that who's the boss, you know, self-destructed there isn't a knockout unless shazam plays well but let's get into that that um that self-destruction a little bit because the first sign that the wheels were falling off the wagon was in round one when who's the boss used all three jte rules and uh, look i'm gonna say this I definitely wouldn't use all three JTE rules in round one. Um, That just seems like an obvious flaw in the gameplay. However, I'm not opposed to using two in round one. And I'm also not opposed to using a lot of JTE rules in round one because... Of something Ben Bateman was saying, which is this idea that you have two heads to think about things, plus the added bonus of multiple choice in in round two. So you really don't need, or you shouldn't need, the best teams shouldn't need to use JTE rules in round two. So you really need to just save one for the five pointer or one to use in round three. I think that um, I think that using round using two JTE rules in round two um, is not a bad strategy. And I also think that um, it only becomes a bad strategy if you use the JTE rule and you can't get the points. Because if you... Because at that point, it's just a waste. But in this case, who's the boss gets two out of the three points off the, the JTE rule. So clearly it works. Um, you know... Again, certainly I don't think they should have used all three. I definitely think that they they should have saved one for the potential five. But I don't think the use of of a heavy amount of JTE rules in round one is a bad one. Um, You've got three of them. You might as well use all of them. And if it gets you the extra point, that just gives you one more advantage over your opponent. So then that was the first element that things were falling off the wheel. And then obviously the classics was the second element. Um, but then after, after who's the boss went in round two, but before, um, Shazam got the chance to steal, I think that everybody kind of could read the writing in the wall and knew it was, was going to be a knockout and that's who's the boss included. So on the first question, um, Shazam has an answer. They say Elvis in response to the, uh, multiple choice options. It's clear who they're talking about. Um, but they don't say the full name. And so Bateman challenges the answer. He says, they didn't say the full name. They could be talking about Elvis Costello. They could be talking about anybody. Um, Regardless of the fact that Elvis has traditionally always um, referred to Elvis Presley, most people, when you say Elvis, associate it with him. Regardless of that factor, um, this is going to sound crazy, but this is what I'm talking about when I say that I I I just have a different way of looking at this match. I don't think it was a bad challenge. Certainly, it was an impossible one. And I think that, uh, that Bateman would even tell you that he really didn't think he was going to win the challenge. But everybody looks at challenges like they're so binary. Like a challenge can only be good if it, um, if it is pointing out an inconsistency. And it can only be bad if it's not. But here's here's the thing. This challenge operates a little bit differently. One, it's a little bit of a hail mary pass, and, and Bateman's kind of elaborated on this factor. But what he said is that, um, you know, on the off chance that maybe um, Ellis and Harloff are feeling bad for him and they decide to grant him the challenge, on the off chance that that maybe they say, you know what, he's right, he didn't give the full answer. Uh, then maybe they're able to save themselves a point. But what I think is the most important, and I think what makes this, I wouldn't say a good challenge, but definitely not a bad challenge. Uh, what makes this a valid challenge, I think is, is probably better way of putting it, is the fact that this stops the match dead. It forces the judges to take a break and it forces the competitors to take a break, which halts momentum in any other sport. You you talk about football, you talk about basketball, you talk about soccer, hockey, you name it. Momentum is the biggest factor in any match. Um, if you're, there's a reason why teams use timeouts after, um, somebody has a massive dunk in the NBA and it's not just because, you know, there was a breakdown that led to the dunk. It's just to halt that momentum because momentum can carry teams to wins. And so the schmodown doesn't have that timeout yet. They don't have that implemented. The only way to really get a timeout is one to use a JTE rule, which you can only use on your question. So that doesn't help. Who's the boss or to use a challenge in that aspect. Who's the boss uses the challenge here. And, and that's why I think that it, it is a valid use of the challenge. And I would almost go as so far as to say it's a good use of the challenge because certainly it doesn't throw Bibiani and Meyer off their game. And certainly it, um, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do which has changed the momentum of the match, but it has that opportunity to, um, you know, maybe Bibiani gets into his head after, after, after the challenge because he's frustrated that, that Bateman will pull another one of these, or maybe, um, they come out of the challenge, you know, having their, having been a little bit shaken by it and they are they're unable to hit a few more steals and things start to look better for who's the boss a lot of things could happen but at the very least it 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 makes both competitors take a timeout and be more introspective i don't think that strategically a challenge just has to be used Um, to point out flaws in a question or to point out flaws in an answer. I think that a challenge can be used as a timeout, and in this case, um, it could have had the potential to maybe stop some of the bleeding, at least a little bit. It doesn't, but that doesn't say that it couldn't work that way in another match, and I still think that it's a valid strategic move. The big point I'm trying to get across, though, is that that the challenge doesn't just have to be the question was wrong. Their answer was wrong. Uh, The challenge can be used in different, more interesting ways. And, and Bateman's one of the best strategists in the game. I think he recognizes that and um, is certainly going to, to try to use it to his advantage. And again, I got a lot to say about this match. So, who's the boss gets knocked out Shazam Shazam has the win and then Bibiani in his post-match interview goes on a long speech about um you know about how knowledge is always going to be strategy and that you know characters don't have a place in the game and 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 different stuff like that and I've got to push back on that a little bit and uh, you know I'll preface this by saying obviously he was in the heat of the moment so anything that was said during that has to be taken, at least with a little bit of a grain of salt, uh, because I like to think that, you know, if it were a pre-recorded match, uh, he gets a little bit more time to think through what he's going to say, or, um, if he says something that, um, is wrong, they can just cut it and, and, and kind of edit around it but they don't have that luxury here. So whatever he says is just because he was in, in the heat of the moment. But that, that very idea of the strategy and the characters has kind of been something that's been, that's gone back and forth in the showdown for a while now, because those early season three matches were just about who knows more. And, and there's still that crop of competitor and that crop of fan that believes that 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 is the way it's supposed to be. Uh, we're we're still in that transition period where people are starting to accept that the strategy and the characters are are the way that the game is supposed to be, uh, and there's still that that crop of competitor and fan that don't believe that. I think that this game would be extremely boring if it was just regular movie trivia, if it was just about who knows more. Um, I've been watching some of the uh, the old season three matches trying to compile stats uh, for the website recently, and one thing that stuck out to me is that a lot of those matches... While they're still close in score or they're, they're still very competitive, they aren't nearly as interesting as um, a lot of the matches that we see today. And, and the difference is because, obviously, the competitors are better, but the difference is also that competitors are applying strategy. They're thinking about their opponent in making their wheel choices and, the, and their wheel slice picks, um, they have these characters. Whether you look at somebody like Tom or Lan or um, even Bateman and Guy, um, they do. They have these characters. All of those things elevate it to the next level. Not only taking it to that level that makes it a sport, which comes from the strategy aspect, but that 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 element of making things a show takes things to to a an extremely higher level. It it puts... Um, it makes things interesting because regular movie trivia is boring. Nobody wants to just watch guys sitting in a room answering questions. Um, this game is a show. It's, it's characters, it's strategy, it's all of that. All of that makes the showdown so much greater. So I have to push back a little bit uh, on Bibiani's statement because... I wouldn't watch the show if if it was just people sitting in a room answering movie trivia questions. What makes the show interesting to me is the everything else of it all. And and certainly I love movies and I, I love movie trivia to an extent. Otherwise I wouldn't watch it. But that's just the base level. Um, what makes the Shmodown great is everything that's added on top of that. But ultimately, you know, I don't want that to detract from the fact that this was a great win by Shazam. Uh, You know, 26-15 knockout against one of the elite teams in the game is nothing to shake a stick at. Um, Their next round matchup will be interesting. They're going to face Corruption, as we found out at the main event. Um, And I don't know you know, Shazam fell to the founding fathers and the transitive property of the Schmodown says that, uh, corruption beat the founding fathers, you know, three times. So therefore corruption should beat Shazam. But if Shazam keeps on this, this hot streak, maybe they've got it. The other thing is that there's a lot of time between this match and that match. So that could play a factor in, in how Shazam plays and also how corruption plays. Um, but one big thing to note, Bibiani is some crazy stat, like one in five in five-round matches. And in five-round matches are where we see strategy come into play more, more so than than three-round matches. Uh, you can kind of bully your way through a three-round match with knowledge, but you definitely have to be thinking about your opponent and the strategy of things, both in the betting round uh, and in round two in in a five-round match. And so... Maybe that has a factor in, in his play, but the other thing is, and, and, and his manager Koi Jandrew, has said it a lot um, following this match, but the, Shazam is a different team under his management. They're, they're playing like a different team, they're thinking like a different team, and, and that could mean that they could get the win too. So what I'm trying to say is that I think this one's more of a toss-up than, than, than people will give it credits for, especially because Shazam's coming off a knockout win. But um, I see it going either way. Uh, so we'll see when that match comes to play. But the uh, chairman said it's probably not going to be till October. So we've got some time before we see these two teams facing off once again. You know, who's the boss lost in this match? And, you know, one thing for certain is that uh, Chandru Dondopani, along with met much of the rest of the league, was going to make sure that he they knew it. Um, Chandru especially was pretty ruthless. He comes after the boss and says, quote, Seems like Ben took the wrong lesson from my match with Smets. Someone tell Bateman that for mind games to work, you also have to have the trivia locked down. Uh, he doubled down on this. This was, was said in the YouTube chat on Friday, and then he doubled down on this on Twitter the following day. Um, <laughs> he is definitely pushing for that heel of the year because he's not just going after the boss. He got into it with Shannon and Kalinowski um, big time on Twitter, uh, there was, there was so much heat being thrown between the two of them that you would have thought they were playing in a matchup coming, but it's not. Kalinowski isn't even, even involved in that match. It's his partner, Chance Ellison. So, uh, Chandru's really making this late game push, uh, to try to get heel of the year. And, and he's got to take every Avenue at his disposal because he, he's only played two matches this season and he's got, he's only guaranteed one more. So it's hard to make a statement on the league with only three matches. You've got to be appearing, you know, on all the talk shows, you've got to be making your presence known in, in this heel persona on Twitter. You've got to be, um, showing up in cut scenes, which aren't really happening in this digital format, but he's really making that push and it's got to be commended because, uh, you know, he is definitely, in my opinion, the most despicable person in the league right now. And I certainly don't think that he, change with the person is like that. But, uh, man, he is he is really coming after people. And, and he's a polarizing figure, there's no doubt about it. If you're a fan of him, uh, you know, you love his clapbacks. And if you're not a fan of him, you hate him. And, and that's exactly what you want from a heel. So he's definitely, you know, I thought the heel of the year race was kind of up in the air, but he may have just, just locked it down for himself, uh, with the way he's, he's gone at some people over the course of the last few weeks, but that's enough about who's the boss and, and Shazam, um, Spent a lengthy amount of time on that match in particular, but, you know, a lot of, lots of things to talk about. Nevertheless, there were two matches in that night, and uh, the second one was an all-timer. Uh, Corruption takes on the Founding Fathers, and Corruption gets the win. They th- scored 44 points uh, to become the new champion's 44-41 win. Uh, nothing but respect between these two teams going into this match and coming out of this match. You didn't see a whole lot of, of of heel work from Corruption and and maybe that played to their advantage. Mike Kalinowski talked after the match about how he was he was silent heading into this match because he didn't want to fire up Roca and um, really was able to do a good job of Of keeping his team in this. Because Mike Kalinowski was the X Factor in this match. There's no doubt about it. At the end of round one, two teams are tied at 13 apiece. Uh, Then in round two, Corruption spins 80s. They go 6 of 6 for 10 points. But Founding Fathers, they go 6 of 6 for 11 points. The category of Angela Bassett. So they're able to take the one point lead 24 to 23. They keep the lead in round three category of Nora Afron is spun? It's a very easy question. Uh, Founding Fathers picks up three points in the betting round. Corruption only picks up two. and th- But in the speed round is when Kalinowski really comes to play. Um, Corruption picks off nine points off a nine of nine performance. Chance Ellison only passes on one question. Uh, while the Founding Fathers pick up four points, they go six of eight, which is rough. They pass on two. Uh, both Roka and Burrell pass on one question and miss one question. So now they're down 34-31 um, heading into the final round. And they're both perfect in round three. Uh, they both hit their 2-3 and their 5, but Corruption had the advantage heading into the end of the game, and and they pull the five-pointer at the end, so they get the win 44-41 for Corruption. So, uh, People are going to talk about Chance Ellison in this match, and rightly so, but I do think that Kalinowski was the X factor. He talked about in the the post-match interview about how he considers himself to be the least knowledgeable player on, on the table in that match, and so, you know, he wins the speed round, and, you know, he shows enough in round one to get his team to win, and that's that's really all you need. Also, down the line, or bottom line, I should say, this has been a this was a fantastic match. Uh, every throwdown main event has been a potential match of the year contender. This one's no different. Um, I wish that this one had a little bit more character work in it, especially when you're talking about corruption. The two guys who are uh, almost synonymous with with character work, but I do think it was cool to see the respect given uh, between two competitors that have played each other four times. That's the most any two teams that played each other in Down history, and it looks like um, they're going to be gearing up to play for a fifth time as, as uh, Dan Merle had a fire lit in his post inter- interview, and one thing we know for certain is that a motivated Dan Merle is a dangerous Dan Merle. I mean, he's always a dangerous Dan Merle, but when he's got that fire, um, watch out. Um, I, uh, there's no doubt that, that Dan Merle is going to be in the tournament, but there is a question to be asked about who's going to be in the tournament for the exchange because now, um, the, the exchanges, two top teams are eligible um, both founding fathers and who's the boss and, and Finstack's already come out Bobby Gucci has said that um, who's the boss won't be in the tournament but he wouldn't definitively say that the founding fathers will be he said something to the effect of you don't bench Jordan uh, when the, the game's on the line or, or something like that um, so he made it sound like he wants to have Dan Merle in there but he said that there were a lot of options on the table That could mean a number of things. Um, One thing in particular it could mean is that the Founding Fathers are being broken up uh, to put together a new super team, which would be insane because uh, both Merle and Roka have have kind of said explicitly that they don't want to play with anybody else. And, you know, Founding Fathers may have lost this match, but they played one of the best matches of their career. So it seems crazy to go with anybody else. That being said... I can't say I wouldn't be excited to see Dan Merle team up with Ben Bateman. Um, cool, that could be a game changer. And regardless of the fact that if the, the that I think there was a rule in place at the beginning of the season that they had to have two losses in the season in order to be eligible to be broken up. Um, maybe Harloff has. Uh, relaxed on that rule just given what's on the line who knows um but i would be super excited to see dan merle and ben bateman team up i think that 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 would be a crazy good team um that would be i i think that whatever team the exchange puts in the tournament um is is going to be the favorite just with shazam and corruption out of the tournament but Ah uh, man, a Merle Bateman team could be the favorite to hold the championship for a long time um that's that's a crazy team and but even still, I think there's a lot on the line for this decision for Gucci because I think that whatever team that um whatever team Bobby Gucci chooses to put in the tournament is going to guarantee which players he's, he's going to try to pick at the end of the year, which players he's going to try to keep. Um, He said, he's not going with who's the boss, but if he chooses the founding fathers, then I think it's pretty much a guarantee that Ben Bateman is gone. Um, The founding fathers have played better under Finstock than they did on their own. And so John Rocha may have had his struggles with Finstock, but I I have to believe that if if Finstock shows the loyalty and goes with the founding fathers in the tournament, then that means that that John Rocha and Dan Merle are going to stay with Finstock and Bateman's out. But if if something else happens, if Merle and Bateman are teamed up, then let let me say, if Merle and Bateman are teamed up and they win the title then I think that Merle and Bateman would stay with Finstock or at the very least stay together as a team. And then Roca would go somewhere else. And that opens up a lot of options because we've been thinking about Roca and Merle as a package deal. But what if they're not? What if they're not even a team at the end of this year? All of those things could impact where Roca ends up at the end of this year. Um, and all of those things could could make the end of the season a lot more interesting. But regardless of that factor, I think that um, Gucci at the end of the season is going to have to choose between either Roca or Aitman. And um, I think that decision is going to be made a lot earlier than most people are looking at. Nevertheless, um, you know, in both matches talked a lot about the losers. I don't want to detract from the fact that this was a great win for corruption. Uh you know, they both teams played excellent down the stretch, but the greatest teams close games. And and corruption is sneaking into that conversation as one of the best teams to ever play. You know, they've got they've got an insane resume wins over the Founding Fathers and over the Shire Wolves. That's not to be discounted. And I also think that Chance Ellison is probably the front-runner for Player of the Year this year. He wins the Intergeekdom tournament. He wins the team's titles. Um, ultimately, it's going to come down to a singles tournament run because early season success doesn't mean anything. Uh, when people vote for the Schmodan rewards, they just have too much recency bias. It's really got to come down to... Who makes a run in the singles tournament? If Chance Ellison's able to put together three wins, three or four wins in the tournament, I think he's got it on lock. But if Ethan Irwin wins the tournament, if John Broca wins the tournament, if um, the Barbarian wins the tournament, you know, any of those people that have success early in the season, if they make if they win the tournament, they go six and zero in in tournament play. That could motivate uh, some voters to vote for them, especially if they win the title at the end of the season. Um, we've seen it happen before. Uh, the the example I go to all the time is that Kevin Smets won the Player of the Year over Paul Oyama, and Paul Oyama alt- probably had. Or excuse me, Kevin Smets won the the rookie of the year over Paul Oyama, and Paul Paul Oyama ultimately had the better season. But when it came down to it, Smets won at Spectacular and Oyama didn't, and and that's why uh, the awards race went the way it did. So, you know, Chance Ellison is hot right now, but if he's not hot at Spectacular, I can't can't say for certain that he's going to win Player of the Year. If the awards were right now, no question. But if the awards were a couple of months ago, Andres Ace Cabrera would have been Player of the Year. So anything can happen. Still a lot of season left to be played. Taking a look at the other matches from around the league, um, there were four other matches this past week. Four other tournament matches. Uh, the final play-in match was Vinny Mancuso beating Sabrina Ramirez 15-13. to 13. Um, It was the completion of the Finstock Exchange shutout for the week. Obviously, this one came first, but it, in terms of talking about it in the context of the show, it's the completion of the Finstock Exchange shutout. Um, I'm not going to... I think that Sabrina's gotten enough hate for this this match, so I'm not going to pile on and uh, talk too much in depth about this one, but I will say it was a tough match for her. And it was clear that she had some first round jitters, which resulted in that that three point first round. But she played good down the stretch. Um and it's all about how you bounce back because one tough game is one thing, but two tough games starts starts to form a trend. And I think that Sabrina's gonna bounce back from this match. Um and be a lot stronger competitor going forward for having such a tough loss early in her career. Brendan Meyer gets the win over Alonzo Duralde, 24-20. Brendan Meyer, uh, it's a dominant showing for him, 938 accuracy rate. He only misses one question in the match, but the real story of this one is Alonzo Duralde um, must be one of the highest-scoring uh, competitors to never win a match. I mean, yes, he's gotten wins before, but what I'm trying to say is that he always is one of those guys that that are in these matches that you know score upwards of twenty points in singles, score upwards of thirty points in teams, and when it comes down to the wire, his the his opponent gets the win. Um, it's a tough break for him as Brendan Meyer gets the win and advances, but I really want to see more Alonso Duralde in singles. And I hope that um, that happens. Mark Draco gets a much needed win for the Rockstars. He wins 15 to 14 over Matt Atchedy. Um the ring rest is real. And-, and Draco looked looked rough in this match and that was somebody who I had uh getting to the Elite 8 in this tournament. Uh it's gonna be tough for him going forward. Um, Nevertheless, I think that, uh, you know, now he's shaking it off and and he should bounce back against the kid, but I think the the kid is probably the favorite. Um, And Draco should have been a little bit more selective with his wheel choice in round two. That's really what this match comes down to. Um, He chose the broad... 80s category and I, I talked about it in classics but I don't think that that was the wise choice I think that if he had stuck with something a little bit more narrow he probably would have had more success uh, nevertheless he gets the win and sometimes that's all it means survive in advance and the final match of the week saw uh, Tim the Tank Freko falling to Tom it's a 17 to 16 victory for Tom a uh, little bit of an error on the graphic there. But it's a 17-16 victory for Tom as uh, he advances. This was a, a, a great match to watch, a, a fun match to watch. Um, always a big fan of, of over-the-top characters, and, and Tom certainly has that, that locked down. But um, the big thing to talk about in this match was the fact that manager Kate Mulligan told Tom to stick with Bond. Now, Tim the Tank Franco has not competed much in the league. But one of the big things that we know about him is that Bond is a strength. He was he competed in the James Bond inter- er, exhibition match. We know Bond is, is one of those, those um, categories that he could go perfect in. And then we saw him spin and go perfect in the category of Bond. So I thought it was interesting when Kate Mulligan tells Tom to stick with Bond because that's guaranteed steals. Now, if Tom does great in the category, um, it takes it off the board for Franco, which is a, a good thing. But nevertheless, it's another one of these situations where Kate Mulligan has that kind of disconnect with her competitors. Um, it's another festival darling situation where she didn't know her opponent well enough to give sound advice to her competitor. And uh, look, she had some early success, but I think that's why she struggled late here in the season is because she's not doing the things a manager needs to do um, to make sure that their competitors are, are successful the whole way through the match. And you know, her, her rookie season as a manager, I'm sure she's going to get better down the line. But these are the kinds of things that she's got to shore up, the kind of lessons she has to learn in order to be a great manager at some point in the future. So that brings us to a, a look at the bracket. We've got a couple second round matches set with the past week of matches. We've got Brendan Meyer taking on Mark Draco in the second round and Jada Paramo taking on Tom. And, uh, you know, just looking at the bracket as it sits right now, it would be interesting to see Jader Parama get the win over Tom and potentially face Ethan Irwin down the line, because then we're going to see uh, that trade come into conversation. And that's something that I, I would really like to see, because not only are the burning droogs managed by Ken now, but Jader Paramo and Ken were the two main parts of the Ethan Irwin trade. And so to see them come back into contact with Sam Levine in a match against the competitor they were traded for, I, I the storyline potential to that is just too good to pass up. So I'm really hoping that Jader Paramo gets that win over Tom. But then as we look at the standings to close out the match, Corruption is on top. They've got a 12-6 record. Uh, 35 points ties them with Swag, but they do have the better win percentage, so that's what gives them uh, a lead in the standings. They have Kalinowski and Chance Ellison playing this week, so they should be able to hold on to that top spot, especially because Swag only has one match this week, but... It's a big one. They've got Liz Shannon Miller taking on Rachel Silvestrini. Swag has got to get a win from Miller in order to keep pace with both Corruption and the exchange. And the exchange, they've got Ben Bateman playing this week and he takes on Andrew Guy and it should be a Ben Bateman win, but the exchange needs it. Bateman has got to secure the victory for the exchange one because they need the points now but two because it guarantees them points when Bateman advances to play Merle afterwards so they got to get a win and this is do or die time for the exchange this is this is um the type of match that will determine the end of their season if they don't get the win here and keep pace then um they may might be done and 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 we'll be all standing around looking, looking around, being like, what happened? Another team that I I think has a big week this week are are the quirky mercs. Um jean Drew has been very clear that he wants um he wants his team to take this year. He had a, a slow start, but Following the two Shazam wins, he has, he has been fighting for that win. And um, now he's got to put, put it to the test. If, if he gets the win over Perry, over Mike Kalinowski with Perry Demaroff, and he gets the win over Chris Jericho with Kevin Smith, now we're talking about a quirky merch team that's contending. But if he doesn't, it's going to be tough for him. So that's going to do it for the show this week. Be sure to check out rtqpodcast.com. I just posted uh, an editorial about Ben Boss Bateman talking about, you know, some of the unnecessary hate he's been receiving lately and and just taking a look at his um, his career in the league. That took a lot of time, so be sure to check that out. Um, and I'll probably have another article coming out about who's the boss because I just think that this loss is so interesting. Um, it's so interesting about how this top team self-destructed that there's there's enough to talk about. Um, be sure to follow us on all social media platforms to stay up to date with everything that's going on. New articles posting. Um, new episodes of the show we're posting stats we're we're trying to 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 be the espn of the schmodown the best place to find all of that information is both at rtqpodcast.com but also on twitter facebook and instagram at rtq podcast you can follow me at potus 107 if you're an audio fan of the show if you prefer to listen in the audio format that is available to you thanks to anchor be sure to check out um everywhere podcasts are available for that also if you are a fan of the audio form just know that you're only getting about half the show if you listen to it in audio format um put a lot of work into the graphics and everything for this show so just know that that's a big factor in in the show as well be sure to check us out, youtube.com slash davidsackrider for, uh, for the video format of the show. But nevertheless, that's going to do it for the show this week. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for, for, for everything. Checking out, us out on, on rtqpodcast.com. I'm always thankful that anybody wants to listen to, to anything that I've got to say. Um, so So thank you for tuning in and so long.